Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight I'm covering a recent double homicide from Canada. The victims were 25-year-old Jasmine Lovett and her 22-month-old daughter Aaliyah Sanderson, both from Calgary, Alberta. The suspect? Jasmine's on-again, off-again boyfriend, 34-year-old Robert Leeming who had moved to Canada from the UK and claimed that they were nothing more than roommates. Jasmine and Aaliyah went missing for weeks before their bodies were found in a shallow grave, and Robert's behavior was so bizarre that it was clear he knew more than he was letting on. In the end, as hard as he tried, he couldn't run from what he had done. So let's jump right in. In September of 2018, Jasmine, who was 24 years old at the time, decided to create a dating profile online. She had recently broken up with her boyfriend, who was the father of her little girl, and she was finally feeling like it was time to start meeting people again. So, she connected with a man named Robert Leeming, who was 10 years older than her. Although there was a big age gap, the two really connected, particularly because they were both going through really difficult times in their lives. Jasmine was a young, single mother who had just broken up with a very serious boyfriend. She was trying to figure it all out, how to balance it all, working and making ends meet while still taking care of her daughter. Robert, on the other hand, was going through a really ugly divorce and a custody battle with his ex-wife, so they were able to lean on each other in their darkest moments. It was only a few months later that Jasmine decided that she and her daughter would move in with Robert. It was his marital home that he owned with his ex-wife, Sarah Leeming, but it was still in his possession as they fought through the court systems for it. While it was Robert's home and the pair were dating, Jasmine would still pay him rent and pay for all of their groceries. It all seemed to be happening very fast, according to Jasmine's family, but she was an adult who could make her own decisions. Robert, on the other hand, was no stranger to finding love online. I mentioned that he was going through a nasty divorce and a custody battle when he met Jasmine. In 2013, Robert was still living in the UK, but he moved to Canada after meeting a Canadian woman named Sarah through an online dating site. After coming to Canada and meeting in person, Robert and Sarah decided to get married, and the couple had a son together. 
but the relationship did not last. They divorced in 2017 and have a mutual no-contact order in place. It was a serious divorce, and a lot of information came out during their court battles. Sarah alleged that Robert was so mentally abusive towards her that she would often have to lock her and her son together in a bedroom just to get away from him. She described how he would frequently gaslight her, making her question her own memory and sanity anytime that she would bring up any issues in the marriage. Sarah said, quote, He blamed me for ruining his life, having a baby he didn't want, having a dog that he didn't want. Everything was my fault. He was cruel, and that caused me to fear our lives at the end of our relationship. To add to the severity of the situation, locked in a vault safe in their home, Robert legally kept guns and as many as 60 knives ranging from half an inch to eight inch in blade length. And this made Sarah feel really unsafe. And he wasn't just aggressive towards her, but towards their son as well. She described two occasions where Robert really showed bad judgment in caring for their child. In 2017, Sarah said that her in-laws were coming to visit from the UK and that Robert left their very young child at home by himself while he went to pick up his parents. In another incident, Sarah said that while eating at a restaurant, Robert took their son outside and left him alone in his car seat in their truck because he was having a meltdown, as kids do, and it was minus 10 degrees and snowing that evening. She also accused Robert of doing drugs and drinking far too much, which made him get into these really agitated moods and make him fly off the handle very easily. But what really made her think that she needed to get her and her son away from him was when she discovered that her husband had been searching articles on his laptop. The articles were about a man tying his dog to a tree and leaving it there to die, and a mother and son who died in a house fire. Well, in fact, one of those stories would come true before Sarah decided to get the hell out of there. Robert would face animal cruelty charges after loading his dog up into his vehicle, driving out to the woods, and leaving the dog chained to a tree. Basically, he left the dog there to die and told his wife that he gave the dog away. However, a police officer found the dog tied up to the tree with no food or water. The dog was in distress, and thankfully, the officer found him before it was too late. Adam was arrested. So one has to wonder, was he planning to set fire to his home with his wife and his son in it? Thankfully, we'll never know because Sarah left with the baby in tow. Jasmine likely never had any idea of any of this. She was now romantically involved with Robert, and I don't think it's very likely that she would move into his home with her baby girl if she had all of the facts from his previous marriage. Either way, after only a few weeks of meeting, in October of 2018, Jasmine and baby Aaliyah moved into the home that was located in an area called Cranston, which is a residential neighborhood in Calgary. It was kind of an unconventional relationship. While they lived together, Jasmine and Robert seemed to have a very volatile, on-and-off-again romantic relationship, with the pair being more like landlord and tenant than girlfriend and boyfriend. But for the most part, it seemed to work. Jasmine had a place for her and her daughter to live, and Robert would watch Aaliyah whenever Jasmine had to work. Even Jasmine's family would say that Robert seemed to be enamored with Aaliyah. He would take care of her and play with her, and he seemed to just really love being around her. 
The same could not be said about Robert and Jasmine. Her sister, Genevieve, would later say that just days before her sister's disappearance, she was at a family dinner with Jasmine and Robert, and they seemed really distant. She said, quote, It was very strange. It seemed like emotionally it wasn't quite on the level you would think a relationship to be. Prior to this, Jasmine had actually become pregnant with Robert's child, but decided to terminate her pregnancy. She already had one baby, and it was difficult enough to balance working to pay the bills and caring for her baby, even with Robert around. It was very clear to many around Robert and Jasmine that they had just sort of settled into this routine, but the spark was gone. At one point, Jasmine had even texted her sister to say that they had broken up. It just wasn't working out. But Jasmine was a single mother with no place to go, so she continued to live at the home, even while Robert began spending time with another woman. Things were about to go from strained to disastrous. Here's what we know with regards to the timeline of events. On Monday, April 15th, 2019, Jasmine, Aaliyah, and Robert went to a family gathering, and later that day, Jasmine was spotted on surveillance video at a grocery store shopping while pushing Aaliyah around in a stroller. We know this for a fact, but the dates get a little wishy-washy going forward, because this was the last time that anyone saw Jasmine. We do know that Jasmine kept in contact with her family very regularly and that she had touched base with them the following day, Tuesday, April 16th. So she was alive at least at that point. Now, the next day was Wednesday, April 17th, and Jasmine was supposed to meet up with her mother and sister for a lunch date. However, she never showed up. They also couldn't reach her by phone or by text. Police believe that Jasmine was killed sometime between Tuesday, April 16th and Wednesday, April 17th. Robert Leeming would change his story several times about when he had last seen Jasmine and her daughter Aaliyah. He first said that he saw them on April 18th. However, in a second interview with media only three hours later, he said that he saw the mom and daughter on April 16th and on the 17th when he went with them to Bragg Creek to have a drink at a picnic area before driving them home. Robert is, of course, the only person who can verify this, which is why the timeline is a little convoluted. But we do know that no one other than Robert had heard from Jasmine after Tuesday, April 16th. We also know that on April 18th, a transaction was made on Jasmine's bank account. Someone was doing some online shopping, but there's no confirmation that this was Jasmine or if someone else was using her information. On Tuesday, April 23rd, five days since Jasmine's family had heard from her via text or phone call, she doesn't show up for a family dinner. Now, they knew that something was very wrong. This was not like Jasmine. She had always kept in touch and always showed up for family functions, so they filed a missing persons report. That evening, police went directly to Robert Leeming's house to question him and to search the home. I have a clip from the body camera that one of the police officers was wearing during that search, and I'll play it for you now. How's it going? So she's with her sister. Hmm. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Alright, well, we're just gonna take a quick look around. We need to have a look. So, sir, you're Robert? Yeah. Okay. So. I was sleeping. I sleep with plugs in and 
Hey, well, we've been here for hours and hours and hours now, hey? Uh, banging on your door and... Well, that's what? the reason that we're here. Why do you think we're here? Is that the family's calling us, saying we haven't heard from our daughter and our sister. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, that makes sense? Yeah. Okay, why does that make sense? Because I haven't heard from her either. So, do you guys get in some sort of argument? No, not that I'm aware of. Well, not that you're aware of. Like, you're not making a whole lot of sense no, to me, like, guy. Like, like, I don't know what... Sorry, I'm still getting my bearings here. So she's not with her family. But she did threaten to move out, I don't know, like three weeks ago. We got into a, a tizzy. She, she threw a bunch of my stuff out, food and stuff like that. And I had a disappointment about that. Nothing like that would concern me. Nothing that would concern you, okay? Like, I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had people living with me before, and they move out. Right, but this isn't just like a roommate. This is your girlfriend. No, it's more roommate than girlfriend. Okay. She's more of a roommate than a girlfriend? Yeah. Okay, so the last time that you saw Jasmine was when? Thursday. Okay, and at that time... You guys were a-okay or fighting, or what was the status? I would say in the air, judging by what obviously has gone down. I mean, hers and she's not here, and we're looking for her, so. So what makes you believe that she's with her sister? She told me that, that she was going to go and spend Easter with them on Tuesday. I was talking about it, because I don't have my son, so... You know, it's kind of depressed about that. Start digging, but that doesn't drive. What's the sign wrap for? No. Just privacy. Huh? Privacy. Did you see the note on the door? I do now. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go make a call to mom and try and get some more info. Robert was drunk and high. He was disheveled and somewhat disoriented. It's a bit difficult to hear his response to the officer's questions, but basically he says that they had broken up and she had threatened to leave several times before. He thought that she was spending Easter with her family and that he hadn't seen her since Thursday, which would be April 18th. Police clearly find Robert's answers and his demeanor suspicious, but they have no reason at that point to push him any further, and they release a plea to the public for any information with regards to Jasmine and baby Aaliyah's disappearance. Police also say that they've ruled their disappearance as a suspected homicide because Jasmine's cell phone records show no activity and neither does her bank account. Police decide to pay Robert Leeming another visit at his home. They take him in for questioning while they search the house, and what they found was beyond bizarre. There were chunks of raw bacon scattered all around his home. 
There was a piece by event that was located near the home's front door. A large chunk of raw bacon stuffed under the cover of a dry sump hole in the basement floor and a slice of bacon draped across the back of a dining room chair. Not typically something that you would see just placed around a home. Beyond the bacon, there were other strange discoveries, including a pin code door lock on the entrance to the master bedroom in the upstairs of the home. Also, the little window on the front door of the home had cellophane on it, which seemed to have been used to prevent someone from either looking in or out. And the door itself had been jammed shut by poles that you would typically use in drywalling. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Police took possession of his gray Mercedes SUV and some other electronic items for further examination. They wouldn't find anything relevant in the vehicle, and police noted that it was surprisingly clean for that time of year, as if someone had just recently thoroughly cleaned it. At the station, Robert maintained his innocence. He said that he had no idea where the mother and daughter were, and that the last time he saw them was when they all went to Bragg Creek for that picnic on April 18th. They had some food there and a few drinks, and then he drove them back home before going over to his new girlfriend's house for the evening. Police weren't buying it, but they had nothing to hold him for at that time, so they had to let him go. 
After being released from police custody, Robert went to the Berwick pub for a beer, and the media swarmed him in the parking lot while he was having a smoke. They wanted to ask him some questions, and he was ready to talk. I have a short clip of that that I'll play for you now. You were kind of the, the primary suspect in this, in this homicide I still investigation. Am. You, you still are. What are your thoughts about that, and what are your emotions right now? What, what's kind of going through your head? It's very stressful, but... Um... I hope they will be found, and um, I hope we can move forward from this. No, we were, we were friends, um, absolutely friends, um, and supported each other. I would like, obviously, for them to be found, um, and um, for me to be cleared of this. It's not usually a smart idea to talk to the media when you're the prime suspect of a double homicide, but apparently he didn't get the memo. Police take the information that Robert gave him that he had spent the last time with Jasmine and Aaliyah at Bragg Creek, which is an area just west of the city. According to him, they stopped for that picnic and a few drinks, and his cell phone would ping at a tower near the area, so it all checked out. Bragg Creek is a vast area with numerous hiking and biking trails. There's picnic areas and camping areas. After searching the area extensively and after not finding anything relevant, they expanded their search area to include Elbow Falls and East Kenanaskis. About a week into the extensive search, police stepped the investigation up a notch as they just want to recover the bodies so that they can be laid to rest. So... Two undercover police officers decide to meet up with Robert after he had a few drinks at the local pub. They befriended him, saying that they had heard police had solid evidence against him, and they offered to help remove the body so that he didn't get caught. This dummy bought the whole story hook, line, and sinker. Within just a few hours of meeting, Robert led the undercover police officers to the Grizzly Creek area, where they made a horrific discovery. It was what they believed to be the bodies of 25-year-old Jasmine Lovett and her 22-month-old daughter, Aaliyah Sanderson, buried in a shallow grave an hour and a half from where they lived. The bodies were wrapped in blankets and had blue plastic bags wrapped around their heads. Police noted that they smelled a strong odor of gasoline or solvent before discovering the bodies. DNA would confirm their identities a short time later. They discovered little Aaliyah's body first. Constable Malcolm May would say, quote, We opened the blanket up to check to see what was inside, and we discovered the body of a young child wrapped within this blanket and bag. We could see the dark hair, the right ear, the right side of the face. We could see the closed right eye and the top of the nose. Then, nearby, they discovered Jasmine's body. Constable May said, we saw that there was an actual body of a deceased person here, a blue plastic bag wrapped around the head. Her eye is swollen. There's blood on her face. It looks like the left cheek is also swollen. Police immediately arrested Robert Leeming for the murders of Jasmine and Aaliyah. And at this time, he started talking. You won't believe the story he was spinning now, and the way that he described it was all just so nonchalant. According to Robert, on April 16th, he picked Aaliyah up from school and brought her home. He was taking care of little Aaliyah that day, while Jasmine went out to grab some groceries and to go to a job interview. He was in the other room when he heard Aaliyah cry out from near the stairs. She had attempted to climb up, 
but had fallen down. He said that she appeared to be okay. She was just a little disoriented. So the two watched TV together and then he put her down for a nap in her crib. A short while later, Jasmine returned home and went to check on her daughter, but Aaliyah was unresponsive. Robert said he began looking for his phone to call 911, but he couldn't find it, and Jasmine began yelling at him, accusing him of murdering her daughter. So, he grabbed a hammer, and he hit Jasmine in the back of the head twice. According to him, it was all in the heat of the moment. Robert said, quote, We were both crying and shouting at each other. She stood up to me and pointed at me and asked if I had done anything to Aaliyah. I freaked out and snapped and hit her with a hammer on the head. Jasmine fell to the ground, badly injured, but she was still alive. So Robert went to the garage to grab a 22 caliber rifle and then he shot her in the head while she was lying down on the floor of their kitchen. He said that she was dying and that he wanted it to end quickly, but that he couldn't bring himself to hit her again, so he decided to shoot her. Then he cleaned up. He put a plastic bag around Jasmine's head and he cleaned up the blood on the floor with some paper towel. Then he rolled both Jasmine and Aaliyah's body in blankets and put them in the back trunk of his car before driving out to Grizzly's Creek to dig a shallow grave and dump their bodies. He covered them with dirt, mulch, and branches, and then he doused them in gasoline. However, he did not set them on fire. Then he went home and cleaned up the rest of the mess and began to drink. Even though Robert admitted to killing Jasmine, he was adamant that he did not kill baby Aaliyah and that she must have passed away from the accidental fall. So when the police charged him with murder for both Jasmine and Aaliyah, he pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of Jasmine, but he pleaded not guilty to the second-degree murder of Aaliyah. An autopsy on Jasmine revealed that she died as a result of multiple injuries, including being shot by a firearm and blunt force trauma to her head, which was consistent with the story that Robert told. However, Aaliyah died as a result of blunt force traumatic injuries, including scalp, hematoma, and subdural hemorrhages to the brain surface and spinal cord. She would have lived for three to six hours before passing away from her injuries. However, it was heavily debated how she received these injuries. Robert maintained that it was all due to the fall from the stairs. During the trial for Aaliyah's murder, Robert's defense lawyer said that there was no evidence that his client killed baby Aaliyah. And in fact, the medical examiner did testify it was possible she died from injuries sustained in the fall. However, the prosecution argued that Robert Leeming had lied through his teeth throughout the whole investigation, so why should they believe anything he had to say now? And they pointed to several instances where he took deliberate action to deceive the police. For example, he deleted all texts and over 30 photos related to Jasmine and Aaliyah from his cell phone the same day the two were reported missing. Thankfully, police were able to retrieve them. He also sent texts to Jasmine's phone after they were already deceased. One said he had taken Aaliyah to daycare, which we know is untrue, and another one later suggesting that they get pizza for dinner together. A week later, he sent texts that said, I know you were talking about moving. I haven't seen you in a couple of days. Just wondering when you were going to pick up the rest of your things. And he also sent, Hey, you okay? The CPS is looking for you here. Please call me. It's urgent. Or call 911. 
the topic of the raw bacon that police had discovered throughout the home also came up. Reportedly, Robert had bragged to the two undercover police officers that he planted bacon in his home to throw off the cadaver dogs, and he bought mulch to put in his car because it apparently smells like death. He also disassembled Aaliyah's crib and removed it from the home along with her stroller to make it appear like they had moved out. Still, the defense team argued that this was all because he was attempting to hide Jasmine's murder, but Aaliyah's death was completely accidental. They asked, if Robert intended to kill Aaliyah, why would he inflict injuries where she was conscious and breathing for three to six hours? He had pretty quickly and violently killed Jasmine, so why would he not do the same to Aaliyah if he really wanted her dead? And it's an interesting argument. But the prosecution put forward a new potential motive. It was discovered by the medical examiner's office that Aaliyah had an unusual vaginal injury. The prosecution alleged that Jasmine found out that maybe Robert was sexually abusing her baby and was going to tell the police. So he killed them both. They alleged that Robert even went as far as to destroy any DNA evidence that could prove this to be true by putting a gasoline-soaked diaper on her. The defense team argued that this was all speculation that could not be proved. In the end, Robert Leeming was deemed a not credible or believable individual. And just this past January, almost two years after the murders, Robert was convicted of second-degree murder in the death of baby Aaliyah. He is now facing an automatic life sentence with his two second-degree murder charges, and he's scheduled to be sentenced this April. Again, things in the court system are moving really slowly these days with COVID, so hopefully it doesn't get pushed back again because it's already been pushed back once. In Canada, life doesn't really mean life, so Robert could get anywhere from 10 to 25 years for each murder, which could either run at the same time or consecutive to each other. This man has been described as the Canadian Chris Watts because of the cruelty of his actions, his odd behavior, and sketchy media appearances. But it looks like just as with Chris Watts, he was caught. His narcissism couldn't save him, and now he'll be spending his days in jail. I hear they aren't so kind to criminals that hurt children. That's it for me tonight. Be sure to follow me over on my Facebook group for more updates on this story. Just search for Serial Society True Crime Discussion Group. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube. Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases that I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash serialnapper. I also post two additional Patreon-only episodes over there each month, so go check it out. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer or a Robert Leeming. Bye.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.